Welcome to the Corridor of Uncertainty podcast. We're now on episode six, and this time we're back to the original crew. We've got no guest. It's just me and Jamie. Jamie, how are you doing? Hello. Yeah, I'm um, I'm doing fine, thanks, Simon. I'm currently uh, a bit dizzied by what's going on. I don't really have too much of an idea, so it seems like ideal circumstances for me to give a podcast where I try to sound intelligent and like I know what I'm talking about. Well, hopefully, ho- hopefully I'll help you figure it out. I'm sure you will. How are you doing? I know you're all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not too bad. It's, it's a Friday evening and I'm recording a podcast about FPL, so what, what could be better, really? Yeah, you've got a beer. I've got a beer here. I'm sure the, the quality will improve as we go on. <laughs> so today we're, we're going to touch on a few things. We, we honestly, we may as well do a little behind the curtain moment. We usually don't know what we're going to talk about when I do the section. Um, so I kind of guess, but we're going to talk a bit about effective ownership and we're going to talk about some tools which Certalp, uh, I think is how you pronounce it, has built on fploptimize.com. Uh, they're really good tools, so go check them out. We're going to talk a bit about them and use it as a jump off point. We've also got a bit of a mailbag where you guys sent in some really good questions. And of course, we're going to talk a little bit about the doubles and chip strategy because it's a fun and and pretty complex set of doubles that are that are coming up in the next few weeks which we don't usually get in an fpl season so i think it's worth kind of digging into what's going on as well yeah sounds good awesome uh should we should we start with this these fpl optimized these setups tools i did warn jamie before we got on that i may get into a rant and so listeners will have to forgive me as well but these these tools have introduced kind of two new concepts uh, which is your gain and your loss. So it's 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 all to do with how many people in the game own the player um, relative to you. I, I think this is probably worth worth stepping back. J- Jamie, you're always better than this. Yeah, yeah. So like effective ownership. What we what we mean by that is if you own a player in your team, then you've got plus one of that player. And then if you think about, you know, you had a quite a nice spreadsheet that I, I saw you share a couple of seasons ago where you were kind of doing like your own homemade version of this, of, of Cert Alps tool just now. And, you know, if the ownership in, let's say, a, a subsection of players that you're interested in and regard as being like a good benchmark for your competition, like let's say it's top 10K for argument's sake, if they own 58% of that player, then you're on plus 42. You know, if you've, you've got one minus the 58% that the rest of the field is going to score. So, you know, it gives you an idea of who the difference makers are going to be for your team in a given game week. How does that sound? Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's probably also worth adding that captains count as two because obviously you get the double the points. So you could have an effective ownership up to 200. So I think recently, was it... Salah was on about 180 or something uh, because he not only was really highly owned, he was also really highly captained. Uh, So you can get percentages over 100. So the concept of gain and gain and loss is is exactly like Jamie explained in terms of the percentages, but Certalps combined it with FPL reviews expected points. And so you don't just have the kind of percentage um difference in ownership between your team and the field you have how that translates into how your score should relate to the average i don't know if you ever saw there was a tool like i think it went dead a couple of years ago fpl discovery yeah yeah that was really good i like that it was it was great and and one of my favorite bits of it is it had the kind of like ownership by match so you could see like how basically how far through the game week you were 
And therefore, like, you, you kind of get an idea as to whether you're having a good score or not, which isn't always easy to do in mid-game week. That's right, yeah. The ranks can be deceiving and, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's th- that's what these things are great for, isn't it? It's like bringing into focus who you, it is that you really need to do well or who it is that you really want to kind of uh, <laughs> not do well. And it, it kind of, yeah, it sort of shows how like small the margins are on a game week by game week basis normally as well like most of the time you're just it's kind of like neither here nor there whether a guy does that well or not unless you're unless you've got a really like non-template squad but yeah it is is, it's great for that but yeah you go on you're you're sort of telling the story about what what the tool does i I think that's it's a a really interesting point around how how small the edges are so there's there's one graph on there which is the um, difference to average graph and it kind of like uh, chucks out what your team's expected points are versus the field and, and kind of how that changes over over the game week as, as the matches are played. So you get this kind of like nice visual of what you would expect your score to be doing. And you always look at this graph and it kind of goes like uh, from zero, maybe down to like minus eight or whatever, and then like up to like 10. And then it kind of like settles somewhere. If you've got a pretty good team, somewhere between like naught and four as like an edge in a game week, let's say. And then as soon as the game week starts, you see your actual line just go swinging wildly <laughs> um, <laughs> up and down. Yeah. 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 And, and you're like, hey, well, okay, this is, this, there's a lot of variance here. Like, you kind of know it, but when you see it on a graph, you're like, okay, wow, I, I, I got to not take any game week too seriously. That's right. And it is really good for that, like, the, the perspective, isn't it? You know, you can see how sort of how lucky or unlucky you can be in these really quite small transactions you know just like son gets two or three bonus points for completing his 15th pass uh, or something (laughs) like that you know and it's like that actually puts a two and a half point dent in your (laughs) in your points expectation for the week or something like that you know it's um it's it's pretty stark uh, what it reveals yeah, it's it's the I think it's probably the most demoralizing thing when you're like, oh yeah, I got like a four or five point edge on the on the field this game week, and then the first game's played, and you're like <laughs> behind your expectation, and then you're like, yeah, well, like, that's all in gone. a ten point hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's really it's really cool that idea that you had to um well, like you say, to combine the pre match expectations is a really powerful thing so you've you've got this reasonable view of not just what you expect to score but what the field is expected to score against you so are you like how how good a game week could it be and then as it develops it gets populated with the actual results and you see it you know you kind of you have this visual you know when you put the graph in of how that looks over time yeah it's just a really cool tool and he's doing a lot of really good stuff he seems to be really engaged and working on it a lot so definitely somebody that the FPL community should embrace. I think I think we have. Certainly, our corner has. Um, he's kind of getting minor celeb status, I would say. Uh, well, yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. the the other The other thing, and I think this is probably worth mentioning because it's quite a nice jump off, is it's kind of graphed uh, on a single graph where you can see your expected loss and your expected gain for any player in the field. And so I'm just looking at it now. And last week, if I hadn't owned Bruno Fernandez then I would have had an expected loss of like 8.4 points. And so I would have had a really, really large bet against Bruno Fernandes. Whereas, whereas obviously Which is the game not is... something you would normally consider doing, is it? That's, that's, that would just be anathema to you to take a large bet against Bruno Fernandes. No, yeah, I mean, it's... Um, <laughs> 
can't think of any time I've ever done it, really. <laughs> no, no, nothing springing to mind at all. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. Pe- people say a leopard can't change its spots, but I've been taking big bets against Salah, not Bruno Fernandes. And we- <laughs> <laughs> traitor. <laughs> totally traitor stuff. Yeah, you've changed. But, but there, there has to be one, right? I wouldn't be playing FPL right if I wasn't making a big bet against the field in some way. That sounds right, yeah. But this this is this is like anathema to the kind of the analyst way of thinking. Um, but I think I think we should factor in effective ownership into our decisions all the way through the season. Uh, and I'm going to give the case against it first. Cool. So the case the the case against it is uh, it's pretty simple. It is the the more points you get at the end of the season, the higher your rank, and therefore you should do the things which maximise your points and you shouldn't worry about what everyone else is doing. It's pretty simple, right? Yeah, that's that's it. Now, that makes complete sense. There's a couple of like edge cases where maybe you want to sacrifice some expected points to like get a differential or two towards the end of the season to kind of increase your variance if you're chasing like a specific goal. But but generally in a nutshell that's kind of the case. We kind of build these models and me as well and they spit out like a single number the expected points a player is going to get. Now, there's there's mm-hmm. two there's two sources of uncertainty in that number. There's the kind of uncertainty as to how it's actually going to turn out. So let's say, like, Bruno Fernandes has the 7.1% expectation. He obviously can't score 7.1 points in FPL. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that's, and that's made up of, like, a, a chance of him blanking, uh, a chance of him blanking but with a clean sheet point, all the way up to, like, getting a hat-trick and two assists and three bonus. And, and and you've got a distribution there, which uh, you've like quantified the uncertainty, right? And so you've got your kind of average value of the whole distribution. Mm-hmm. But the distribution itself is also subject to uncertainty. We don't know what inputs we should be putting into our model. We're trying to estimate what the like player's true level is based on a sample of observations, i.e., the matches that they've played, and. Obviously, with a case like Bruno Fernandes, this is one where, and, and Jamie Vardy the season before, where we had them pegged at a certain level based on our sample of observations, and then their underlying level improved, and we started a podcast to deal with trauma. <laughs> that sounds right. So because we have uncertainty on the distributions, and we try to pick the players with the uh, highest expected points, we're going to be overestimating systematically the points that our players are going to get and underestimating slightly the players that we don't pick, just mathematically. Does that does that follow? I saw, I saw you making this point, yeah. It just, you know, when you were talking about outliers in your model, you know, like value outliers, and it was, you were, it, it was on the same lines, and I, I thought it was a good point, although I haven't had time to fully process it yet, but the idea is basically... If you're higher on someone than other people, the probability that you're wrong to be higher on that person is like larger than the normal amount of uncertainty that you would assign to, you know, a, a model. Basically, is that kind of is that fair? Is that a sort of fair summation of what you're trying to say? I think that's definitely true, and that's kind of like another part of why I think we should care about ownership more than we do. Mm-hmm. But it, it, this kind of point um, is true no matter what anyone else does. So if, if you imagine, even if you've got an unbiased model, 
but you know that all of your point predictions have had a random number added to them. That's kind of the way I would think about it. And then if you select all the players that are at the top of your list, you're not just picking players on their actual underlying level. You're picking them on the underlying level plus the model error, because that's all you can look at. Yeah. And so and so you're going to be picking people on average with a positive model error. Yes, I would say so. Yeah, and yeah, and and that was that, that was a point I was trying to sort of convey. Yeah, that that's right. That that is my understanding of the point you're trying to make, and it seems it seems reasonable to me. Yeah, I could uh, I, I could believe that if we accept that the models are going to contain bias, and none of us have made a perfect one, then yes, the people we'll tend to pick will tend to have like a, a bias which goes in their favour. Uh, and that's part of the reason why we're picking them. Yeah, I would say I would agree with that. Uh, exactly. And what we don't have great estimates of, at least as of yet, is how large this effect is. So we could be looking at like situations like Bruno Fernandes happen a lot. We've got one a season so far of the high profile ones, but it, there'll be other players which which maybe they're, they're also kind of getting positive model error but not enough to get them in our teams because of that and this is this is why i think it links to the the loss and gain is is you're you're always making a bet on on either owning or not owning a player in fpl yeah so the the field is making like a certain bet and you can either choose like zero 100 or if you captain them 200 and and the field is going to pick some number in between yes uh and so like Bruno Fernandes last week at 140% effective ownership. If I don't own him, I'm making a really, really big bet against Bruno Fernandes. Mm-hmm. And, and my hypothesis, and, and I'd be interested to see if this actually holds up in um, the Vogue household, is that the bigger bet you're making, the surer you need to be about that bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that stands to reason. I would say, just in, intuitively, I would I would agree with that. You know, you should be, if you're going to make like a big bet that's going to be potentially really material to your team, then you should be able to back that up more with more evidence. You know, and and have a smaller kind of like confidence interval or or uncertainty level around your estimate of points for that player. Let's say, yeah, okay. yeah, you better you better be getting some serious value, otherwise, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you're if you're only getting thin value in your model, it's probably no value at all because of the overestimation effect. Could be negative value, and you're betting the house on that. Yep. Yep. Totally. And th- th- this is reminding me of Abdul's comment. You know, the bomb that he dropped on us when he was on the pod about um, the model makers, model users, and when they are making decisions, they're kind of almost doing it with like. A, a greater implied certainty with less uncertainty than than what he was you know I, I don't maybe necessarily think it would be fair to credit everyone with the kind of intelligence and nuance that um, Abdul has when making decisions but he was kind of saying when we buy a player we're we believe we're right to buy that player you know like <laughs> we think we're doing the right thing whereas when yeah. he does it he's like more kind of like well <laughs> this is what i'm gonna do and um it could be right but i want a way out if it's not you know and i think that's maybe something that as a model maker um i've 
been guilty of doing in the past is like taking these kind of strange bets against the market because of something that I was believing and, you know, that I was considering to be signal, that I was considering to be more like, you know, maybe more certain than I should have been based on looking at my model for hours a day for the week leading up to me making my transfers, you know. And I think that this kind of idea, insight that you're having, you know, a development of that kind of thought that Abdul had, does that sound, sound right to you? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's taken me a while to, to like digest that pod. Yeah. Abdul really, it was, like a dagger. <laughs> it was an absolute dagger through the heart when he was like, so you guys are assuming you get the players right. And I was like, oh God, oh no. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Like> spiraling. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's just like, it's just so succinctly put and it's just like, you model is, is complete folly. Yeah, it was such a good, it was such a good um, sort of insight that he had. Yeah, totally spot on. Yeah, that, that's all I've got in effective ownership. Right, that that's good. Right, Let, well, we should still talk about that because there was stuff there that I wanted to talk about. There was stuff there that surprised me a bit. One thing just to note to begin with is you were kind of talking about that through the lens of someone who is either a modeler or is using a model like for the basis of a lot of their decisions and i suppose it's a safe assumption that people that listen to this podcast are people who are doing that but that was kind of like one observation i made when i was listening to it like there will be people out there who who aren't using a model and their relationship to effective ownership you know i wouldn't say for sure that they were not taking it into account as much as they should they might be taking it into account more than they should. But it's a, I think your kind of note is about people that do use models, that do use like expected values, probabilities, and there could be a tendency there to actually under under hedge like how much we're how much credence we're giving to the expected ownership numbers. And I think that could be a really good insight, uh, honestly. I think there's a lot of times when I was listening to um, like the Meet the Manager pods. I kind of got in. I try, kind of tried to ask Abdul about this when he was on. It's something that I've spoken privately with a bit, with a few people. Is that people make the game sound much easier than I understand it to be? <laughs> I, like, I feel like there's a lot of more like room for subtlety and nuance than than what comes out in these interviews with historically very successful players. And you know, if you follow the Elite One Thousand sample. Or there's a good question from Sertalp, actually, for this pod, which was about, you know, is there some sort of information source I'm not aware of? Because I think he told me, because he's Turkish or has Turkish roots, that the person that is, people pronounce Gundawan, I think he said something like Gunduyan is probably the closest, like yeah. easy pronunciation in English. So let's call him Gunduyan. His ownership went from like I don't know what it was. I can't. I don't have the question in front of me. I don't think. But it was like, let's say for argument's sake, it was like five percent to forty percent in the space of a game week. And you know, most models wouldn't pick up on a kind of change in the potential of a player that fast. So where are people getting this kind of source of information that causes them to jump on a player that fast? And all those like these kind of uh, things that I'm saying here, which don't necessarily seem connected, are are making me more aware of people just kind of making it simpler than I am making it, it for myself. The reason why I think his ownership went up so massively is because people see KDB's injured. 
so his game time is going to be increased and he's going to be on penalties and he's looked quite good recently and he scored last week you know and and that's kind of it and it, and he cost five and a half million in place for man city you know yeah. and, and and that's all that the that one might need to know but if it was me and it is me i i don't have gundian for a decent reason i, I do think he's a great asset like I, I, he's sort of borderline no-brainer i would say but i've got two defenders already and i just kind of took a bet on sterling as my player because it worked with like what my strategy was at the time and my rank was was much worse than i wanted it to be so it was just kind of like a, a nice bet to take now that we're talking about effective ownership as well and that's just a way of increasing risk for me which you know i i think it makes sense for me to be in like a risk seeking mode at the moment so but I, you know i ordinarily i probably would have found it quite easy to overthink gundian because i'd be staring at the numbers and i'd be going well is this really sustainable i'd be worrying about the minute i'd be you know and i think well is he actually going to get penalties because sterling took that penalty when he was you know and, and so on and so forth and i do think that we can have a tendency to overcomplicate things I, I think that's right. I think I think Sterling is a is a fine bet to make. I, I don't think that's a bad play at all. Uh, I, I think I, when I remember when KDB got injured and I was kind of toying between Foden and Gundogan, and I then went on FPL review for the Hive Mind minutes, and I just kind of made a mental note, and I was like, I'm gonna need transfers. Don't bring in anyone who's like under 75% expected minutes. Just as like a, a like a like a rule of thumb for myself. Yeah, yeah, it seems smart. And like the expected points weren't too far apart in my model. I think Foden was like slightly ahead. Um, that's now flipped around quite significantly. Gundian's been putting up the underlying numbers as well as running hot recently. And 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 it was and it was the minutes expectation that swung it for me. Uh, and I think that's the kind of thing which models do struggle to pick up on you're right obviously not the fpl review one because it uses human input but but i think the game is quite simple i i I think even with a model you can kind of make it simple in the wrong ways because you can just kind of stick it in a blind optimizer and it will miss some of these things you're talking about uh which i think which i think setup does which which makes sense that he asked the question yeah uh and I think you'll end up losing some expected value over the season by doing that because you won't be able to anticipate uh, things which humans can, which will change the model inputs by the time you actually get get around to the game weeks. But but I think you can overcomplicate it as well. And I, I think we have slightly different mentalities towards this. I think you have a, a natural pessimism towards uh, towards do. what could go wrong, and I and I yeah. think I have like a, a, a carefree naivety. <laughs> I think you do. Yeah, yeah. I, I see us as being different in that way. If you look at our game week one squads, there was like, you took all the bets that I was kind of like, <laughs> all the kind of bets I was like, well, he'd be nice, but you know, you obviously you just can't do that. <laughs> and you just had all of them, you know, it's like yeah, everything like Reese James, Phil Foden, and I don't know if you had Brewster and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, those were like all the ones I might have taken one of them on if I was feeling like really frisky, but um, yeah. It's quite funny. Yeah, just uh, just go a little bit crazy. Why not? It is a game. Okay, so the reason why it's surprising to me that you are uh, coming out with this um, viewpoint that us as kind of the objective probability-based FPL players should take more heed of effective ownership is because like that has kind of been one of 
the our little communities. Uh, I was going to say commandments. Yeah, one of our commandments. That's good. Which was like, thou shalt not pay any heed to effective ownership. Because, you know, I mentioned this on an earlier pod. Whether or not you own a player has no bearing on how many points they're going to score at all. <laughs> um, so so it, once you kind of get that like established in your head, all you need to have is a firm idea about who's going to score the most points. And then you get those players and you don't care about what anyone else does because they will come to you when your very firm idea is proved to be correct. Now, the sort of nuance that you're bringing into it here is that we should be less sure of our uh, our ideas, you know, the ideas that are born from our models. I mean, something that is a genuine like a thing that people can do, and there's a note that I made before we came in here, is that you can actually use the effective ownership as a gauge like somewhere to look for where you might be wrong you know as an instinct that was that was something that i'd realized a couple of years ago is if a lot of people think something about a player and you don't that should really be increasing the probability that you're wrong about that player you know you should at least be open to that possibility um so that is true i do believe that you can you can and should use effective ownership as a way of going over your assumptions again and double checking that generally i have been happy and you certainly have to let people go and own assets that we don't believe in it sounds like you're kind of coming around to maybe not being so sure about that for me the thing that i think you've got a point i think the thing that depresses me about it is it does tend to make the game more simple in a way that makes me feel like it should be harder to demonstrate skill because i can pre- if you if you follow the elite 1k sample that fpl review puts out and fpl research um started off the year before you can pretty much guess what they're going to do every week you know who's going to be the most sold guy you know who's going to be the most bought guy sometimes it surprises you a bit but this is kind of getting to like certal's question if you kind of hang around in the community enough you can sort of feel it in the air about where the market is going to be going uh, on certain players and if all you did was do that thing every week doesn't sound like that much fun to me but maybe there's still room for fun maybe there's still maybe i agree maybe if you're winning it's fun (laughs) i agree it's it's also i mean just because you need to be sure in your bets the bigger they get then you don't make any bets uh, this is not a everyone should only follow effective ownership kind of doctrine. It's a maybe we should loosen loosen the the doctrine in order to take it into account. So the the other thing I think that's worth bearing in mind is if you're making a bet in one game week, the effective ownership between one game week and the next is is really tightly correlated. So. Uh, Bruno Fernandez is like 180% effective ownership this week. He's not going to be below 90, which is like half of that um, the next week, unless there's kind of mass sales. And so if you're if you're choosing to bet against a highly owned player at a single game week, then you're going the next game week. You either have to use your transfer to reverse that, or you have to make that bet again. And so. If if you do that for a whole season, so like I did with Bruno, second half of last year, first half of this one, then your variance, your like luck score on FPL review is going to be really highly correlated with that player's overall underperformance. 
And so you're you're basically making a bet that if Bruno Fernandez overperforms his expected goals, I'm going to have a bad season, or or vice versa. And that kind of wipes out, I think, rather than rather than makes it harder to demonstrate skill. I think if you don't take EO into account, then your your variance against the field is 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 going to be way higher, and it makes it there and and correlated to a single player. And, and that makes it much harder to demonstrate skills. So if you want to bank your whole season on on Bruno Fernandez bad finishing, then then keep making the bet. But if he if he finishes well, you're you're just going to have a bad FPL season. And so I think it's about playing a little bit pragmatically and choosing your spots um, mm. to differentiate. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. I mean, I'm just reminded actually of conversation we had about Vardy on the first pod and I think I was trying to describe a similar effect maybe but with less with less insight at the time which was you know about making the bet again week after week and that you know if it does go wrong you're kind of getting the worst case scenario thing happen so are you kind of saying that you're seeing a, a different that in a different light now like would you feel slightly differently about the Vardy situation as well if that's if that's equivalent to the Bruno situation you know let's say at the end of last year start of this year yeah I think so I think I think it's uh it's not necessarily saying I wouldn't do it again I, yeah. I'd have to like I'd have to be like quite deep into the numbers so I think if there's if you think there's a really large edge you should still do it yeah but I would definitely be more cautious than I was yeah, yeah. Okay, no, it's it's really good. It's really good stuff, and I think that it's probably a note on like humility, isn't it? You know, that's I'm trying to frame it in my head as I process it into like how I can kind of get behind this and not feel like and not feel like I'm not backing myself. You know betraying what I mean? Betraying the model. Yeah, exactly. Betraying <laughs> my my true friend. Um, but the <laughs> the the way that I would frame that to myself would be about humility, you know, about, you know, we we should be the people who are, you know, aware of the randomness and the uncertainty and the distribution of outcomes and and how kind of hard it is to actually get a nice tight estimate on the, the true aspect of the of um, you know these people's potential. Therefore we should you know, we we should be able to sort of show some humility around our predictions and say, well, if the field are feeling that strong about him and there's lots of smart people out there who are watching more football than me, then, um, you know, maybe that's something that is worth bearing in mind a bit more. Yeah, I could probably get behind that a wee bit. Yeah, and I, and I think if you if you kind of look at like how XG has kind of bled into FPL and kind of taken over in the last couple of years, the the predictive points model is going to do that in the next couple of years. So we've got to find a new edge somewhere. That's true. Yeah. Well, I'm certainly not feeling confident about finding that edge tonight. Um, <laughs> but yeah, okay, good, good chat. I don't think there's much more to say on. Um, EO, I don't know how you feel. There was a couple of questions about it specifically. You know, like where do you both currently stand on it from James Owens? I think we've answered that. You know, there was one question from Ukint Person, which was to do with your objectives. You know, like if you have a particular objective, top 1K or whatnot, then 
does that kind of influence your thinking on effective ownership? And I think we kind of touched on that. We've touched on that before about about it being related to risk. Um, yeah. You know, if you want to chase risk, sure, take the bets against the effective ownership. If you want to uh, avoid risk and immunize yourself, then go go with the EO plays. And also, I saw some chat which always comes up when you see someone like score in a week and your rank doesn't move because they've got like an uh, you know you've not captained them and they've got an eo of around about 100 percent. and people say what's the point in even owning them do you want to give a strongly worded message to those people yeah it's 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 pretty simple if you didn't own them and they score your rank really plummets it's, it's not rocket science yeah it's like do you want to be you know like net even on your ownership or do you want to captain them and go plus one? Or do you want to not own them and go minus one? Like the, you know, the if you don't own them, the alternative scenario is to not own them. So you're then the one who's taken those bets against Sun or Kane or Bruno or whoever it is in, in the given situation. So, you know, it's totally fine for a player to score and your rank not to move and for that to be a normal, happy outcome that you know you're you're comfortable with. I think the community term is hygiene pick, and it's one where you you just own them, you don't worry about it, and you're essentially playing an FPL game with ten players, and Bruno Fernandez doesn't exist. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, and that's that's a good term. I've I've heard Tom from who got the assist use that and. Who got the assist did a podcast on effective ownership recently, which I don't know if you managed to listen to, but I didn't. I do um, try to listen to Who Got the Assist every week, and I haven't heard that one or the most recent one on behavioral science, which sounds like it's supposed to be pretty good as well. So it's there's probably there's is it? Yeah, yeah. Did you did yeah. you manage to listen to the EO one? I don't think so, but no. the, I, I did the behavioral science one. Let's go yeah. check it out. So yeah, so if pe- if people want to hear more about EO, I'm sure there's some good stuff in there, and you know maybe we've just covered the exact same stuff or whatnot. We're not sure, but um, yeah, do check that out as well. I'm sure there's some uh, some good material. People are still thirsty for more chat on effective ownership. Awesome. Should we should, should we do some doubles madness? Doubles madness. Okay, yeah, let's do that then. That's that seems fair. This is this is not the place, listeners. If you want to work out which fixture is going into uh, which game week, if you if you want to find out those things, uh, Jamie and I are not we're not the experts in that. They're, so you've got like a few sources. Uh, ben Crellin on Twitter. Yeah. If you prefer in audio form, the most recent Planet FPL podcast has a really detailed rundown from James from that podcast. Uh, and I, I was listening to that this morning and in the intro, he kind of goes through like his percentages of where he thinks things are going to go. And I, I put it out on Twitter. And when I was updating my model, I mostly wrote it down so that I could steal it, put the numbers in. And I thought I may as well share it. <laughs> That's like how my Man City forum estimate started as well. So, well, I've done all the work. So, <laughs> I'll send it out. so we've got. We've got obviously a double in 24 coming up. I think everyone's pretty familiar with that. And 25, which are both confirmed. You've got this large double game week in 26. You've probably got a double game week in 27 and or 28. And then you've got a blank game week in 29. And then on the other side, and I think this has been under looked at, you've Mm. got the FA Cup semis in game week 32. I 
can't remember if those can go into the free midweek. I don't, that may not be a double and blank game week. But then in game week 33, you've got the Carabao Cup final. So that's one of the Spurs games and Man City Southampton moving out of that. And they're going to get rearranged. And I think that's going to be a nice spot to free hit for me. And we can get into the detail later. But that's kind of kind of an overview. And, and we're making decisions now not knowing which fixtures are going to go into which weeks or even necessarily which weeks are going to be doubles on the other side of 26. Yes, that's right. And we and we should really be like, if you kind of play FPL responsibly, you should be taking into account your strategy for these upcoming doubles and blanks and your chip usage with your decisions now. Like, and, and you know, I, I was last week um, and I don't know, you know, it was it was kind of reasonable enough to do it last week because there was certain things that were becoming clearer. Like when, once I worked out who was likely to progress from the FA Cup and stuff like that, it sort of you, you got a little bit of a jump on on that. But now is the time to really be doing it. We were recording this on the Friday night before game week 24 and I would actually have no idea what I'm doing for game week 24, let alone the the upcoming Blanks and doubles is just so much information to process at the moment. And depending on what chips you've got, there are loads of viable strategies for for uh, for either way. So, yeah, how do we best kind of summarise that? Who, what's the majority chip position, do you think? I think most people have, most people are not in the position that either of us are in, which is going to make this hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most people have used their free hit, and I think some have used either a bench boost or a triple captain in 19. Yeah, yeah. And, and and some haven't used either. I've used the wild card in 18 and, and the bench boost in 19, which is a, a minority position. And I think you've not used anything at all. You've used like a triple captain or something like that. Yeah, just a triple captain in, in 19. I didn't use a chip to get through 18 in the end, which, uh, you know, I nearly got away with, but didn't. <laughs> so yeah, um, I'm needing to make up some some ground with my chips in the bank at the moment. Well, why don't we, as you have no idea what you're doing, why don't why don't we try and do a little workshop on your team, and then there'll okay. probably be some interesting things to talk about, and hopefully you come up with a plan. Okay, right, this is ambitious. Um, so <laughs> suppose I should get my team up for. A reminder i've got and there are people in this boat and like i know that there there are some people who are in the same boat as me which is basically didn't use a free hit in 18 tried to get through 18 by building a team towards 18 like one of the things i think strategically that came out of the fa cup results was that spurs and villa both now have a free game week 29 They've got a game in hand against each other. It's actually sort of ironically from game week 18 when that <laughs> one got plucked out of there to absolutely destroy my massive data rank uh, in, a, in an irreparable way <laughs> uh, for, for the rest of the season. So, yeah, that is going into 29. And the yeah. general gist is because Spurs and Villa have lots of good FBL assets that are highly owned, and they now are likely to double in 26 and have a game in blank game week 29, that this is like the life raft. This is the kind of the path through the forest for people who are planning to go without a squad changing chip over this period. 
you load up or you front load on Spurs and Villa guys, get a few Leeds guys. And so you've got a team in 29 that's going to be kind of like ready made and you're not sacrificing too much on these doubles. So for me, that was like disappointing that that, that outcome has happened um, for, for people who are in that situation. But I, 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 most people I've seen and like the likes of Ben Crellin, who's on this kind of seems to be the majority chip strategy. That is kind of the plan, isn't it? It's like make it through 29, then wildcard after that. Um, I think that's kind of what I've tended to see. So we can kind of cover those people with that. So I've got Triple City and Salah and Bruno. And then like, but from Spurs, I don't have anyone. I've only got Eric Dyer and he needs to get sold. So I don't have like Kane or Son. From Villa, I've only got Watkins. I don't have Martinez. I don't have uh, Grealish. I don't have target. So I'm not in that position of having like a squad that's kind of good for 29. So I shouldn't use a chip type thing. I am in the position where I want to try and like make the most of my advantage, if there is an advantage, to having wildcard bench boost and free hit. So I was thinking about this before we came on and the decision, one of the easiest ways to kind of like cut branches off of the decision tree for me is... Am I going to free hit in 29 or am I going to build a team for 29? And if I was going to build a team for 29, that would involve like buying the Spurs guys, buying the Villa guys, buying some Leeds guys and kind of ignoring everything else that was going on around me. And that kind of seems bad to me, probably for my situation. You've got two West Ham guys as well. They play yeah. in 29. They You've play got in 29. Antonio and Suchek, and you've got Webster, and he plays at 29. Yeah, I've actually got seven people technically that have a fixture in game. Oh, yeah, and, and Smith Rowe as well, yeah. Yeah, okay. but there, a lot of them are fringe players. Like, basically, my bench, like Webster, Smith Rowe, Dyer, uh, Suchek, you know. So it's like, it's not a great reason to kind of put one's eggs in that basket, but it is kind of, there is a, a germ of an idea there as well. Yeah, you want like Kane, Son, and Grealish as as your like main yeah, three, and then maybe be like a Saka or a Rafinha or something. Yeah, Rafinha maybe. Yeah, because obviously Leeds have got this double coming up next week, game week twenty five. So like trying to catch that would be nice. If you're trying to navigate between twenty six and twenty nine, it's quite difficult if you're trying to bench boost in twenty six as well. I think so. It's, it's hot. It's hard to kind of square that circle because yeah. even if you've got three Villa, three Spurs, that means you've got nine that aren't playing in 29. Yeah. So, and and because you can't bench any of your kind of single game week players, obviously, if you yes. want to get your full 15, yeah. then then that means with three free transfers, 27 through 29, then you're going to get to nine players in 29, which is okay, but there may also not be the nine that you want. Um, yeah. It's probably so, a dubious thing to do with with wild card and free hit, uh, just like sitting there. Yeah, have you have you thought about wild carding in twenty five? Yes, that would be the def- That would be like the natural plan. It would be wild card twenty five, bench boost twenty six, free hit twenty nine. That would be. I think that would be the sort of normal, advisable thing to do for someone in this situation. The thing that I don't love about it is, well. One, I don't really know how good the bench boost is going to be in 26 with the way the, te- the, the teams have fallen that have gotten into there. Like confirmed teams that have 
like bench caliber players are like it was double game weeks which is what i'd be hoping to do if i was like spending a wild card and a free hit just to get it away basically are like okay there's burnley you can get sort of your keeper and Loughton or something like that villa you can have sort of matt target chelsea have you could have rudiger who's kind of like a bench priced player even though they've got manu and liverpool in the double if they get one and there's more uncertainty under other teams that are typically of a bench caliber like southampton fulham wolves west brom and sheffield united i mean there's not a great amount of assets from those teams they're less certain to have a double game week in 26 with the way things are going to shake out like we don't know about that yet yes i might know about it in 25 by the time i wild card but i don't know about that now as i consider my moves so weirdly it's hard to get a good bench to boost in game week 26 even though there's so many doubles like it's, it'd almost be better, in my opinion, to bench boost in 25 with just just with Leeds and Southampton because of how many good bench boostable assets there are from those teams. So you end up benching more expensive players because you play your Leeds and Southampton doublers, essentially. Yeah, but you know, I think we kind of well. I at the at the moment I only have uh, McCarthy and Bamford, but I, I've got three free transfers before game week 25 so i could get dallas vestigard rafinha adams people like that and those would be bench caliber players in a normal squad and then for this game week then you elevate them from the bench with the bench boost was it would be the kind of way i would frame it in my head so yeah that's my bench and i'm choosing to play it because they've got double game week figures that would be the argument i was making uh, double game week fixtures that would be the argument i was making you know rather than traditionally what people do which is they just have 15 players that all have double game weeks or somewhere near that because they're using their bench boost in a massive double game week um, but it kind of amounts to the same thing it's getting your four worst guys on the pitch in a game week where they have the highest expected points you know, so that's what you could do if you used bench boost in one of these tiny double game weeks, like twenty five or twenty seven or twenty eight. If they're if game weeks fall into there, like Southampton are, they could be the golden goose because they've got potential doubles in. Well, technically they've got potential doubles in every game week from twenty five through to twenty eight. Although they can't get them all, they can. You know, it it just be a case of either or for some of them. They they could get three double game weeks. In those four weeks, you know, and there are bench boostable versions in, in all of those for, for Southampton, probably. So let's let's look at it slightly differently. If you didn't wildcard before 26, what would you need to do to your team? Yeah, well, that's I, I really don't know, because I, I'm tr- I'd be trying to like scoop up some guys in 24. Then I'd be trying to scoop up some guys in 25. And then I'd be going into 26, probably, you know, I, I'd, I don't know if I'm. I'm probably that doesn't sound like good prep for a bench boost. If you're trying to hit these doubles uh, and not let any of them go by without like wasting the opportunity, it doesn't sound like I'm spending much time preparing for a bench boost in there. Yeah, I think it's 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 an interesting one where you kind of have to pick your spots here because you have too many doubles in a row to be able to attack them all. And so yes. I've used my last I used my transfer last week on getting a double game week 25 player uh, and yeah. this week I'm getting one for basically 26 27 28 kind of because I got Watkins 
Okay. Uh, and so my last two transfers, I've basically ignored 24. And every yep. transfer you spend on one fixture in 24 or 25 uh, could be giving up a fixture in 26, 27, 28. Yes. So you're not necessarily buying extra fixtures in the Gaining way that anything. you typically yeah. would be. Yeah. So just kind of as a thought experiment, if you ignored 24 and 25, like would your 26 would your 26 team be something that you'd be happy with, even if mm. you focus only on that? Because if yeah. not, you should wild. Yeah, that's right. And I don't, I haven't looked at that yet. I need to, I need to kind of, I need to spend some time looking at it. But I think not. I don't think it's in a, a position to wild card. I mean, some. The teams that could have doubles in either 24 or 25 and 26, these teams do exist. Southampton could, Everton will, Burnley will, and Fulham could. So, you know, I, like Everton and Burnley, I could buy people now for um, for Game Week 24, which is actually my plan. I, I bought Pope last week and then I was going to get like Loughton and uh, DCL this week, but DCL got injured um, so I don't know what I'm doing, as I say, for Gimmick 24 yet. But that was my plan. And that would have been quite nice because, like, to have Loughton and Pope, then you've already got two of a bench with uh, that you can boost, you know, as long as your other, as long as your other keeper's got a uh, double fixture as well. So, yeah, I think I should wildcard. I just... <laughs> It I hadn't think you really should probably work that. Yeah, it hadn't really been on the cards, which is kind of why I'm always looking for ways to find nice, like to thread the needle and just kind of come out of it, you know, smelling like roses with a, a chip on the other end. But I just don't know if that's going to happen uh, for me. Yeah, I think you've 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 done the threading the needle already in eighteen and nineteen, and so you don't need to do it again because you've got the chip in hand. <laughs> no, but you just you know you you never don't want to thread the needle. That's <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, you 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 feel more smug when you get it right, but that's absolutely it. Right. So yeah, so that's that's me. That's probably quite team specific stuff. But yeah, for people that have wild card and free hit and bench boost to get away i think as a general rule if you can get your bench boost away in a small double game week then that seems appealing to me and you should really look into it 24 or 25 or 27 or 26 if you have a lot of spurs and villa guys and maybe some leads and you're kind of well set for 29 you should look at trying to get through without using chips are you not using a, you know your well card and your free hit at least? So you've got those left over for 32, 33 and any more funny stuff that we get at the, towards the back end of the season. I think that's appealing as well. I don't think I'm really in either of those boats, so I'll probably end up using all my chips between now and, and game week 29, which is, which is fine. There's also, it's worth saying, if you sacrifice a little bit of your bench boost, you can save your free hit quite easily. So if you wildcarded in 25... Uh, bench boost with 13 doublers and two single game weeks that you wanted to carry through then yeah. you'd be on 11 11 and 29 with free transfers assuming you go triple filler and spurs yeah uh, so let's say you carry two leads through um and then you could use your free hit later on in the season so there's a way to there's there's different trade-offs you can make that's right um and then you, then the question is you go okay is the free hit chip worth two bench fixtures probably not so I'd probably sacrifice a bit of the power of the bench boost to save the free hit for yeah. 33. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I saw some comments from 
Stefan Hogsrud, and and he was kind of saying the same thing. It's like the bench boost is not going to be this like perfect thing uh, for for anyone probably anymore because of how like helter skelter these double game weeks are in the next um, six six weeks coming up. Uh, you know you can't win in one place without losing in another like you said Simon so it's kind of like letting go of that idea of having uh, the perfect bench boost or everything working out perfectly and then trying to be a bit more pragmatic I think the thing is for me when I start going down that road it doesn't I don't need to go down too far before I'm not using wild card or free hit <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean like I'm just getting by in 26 and bench boosting like a nice squad uh, which can also survive 29. But I'm probably not far away from that squad just now, so far away that with the four FTs I have between now and then that I couldn't get there. So that's, <laughs> you know, that's somewhere um, something that I've still got to decide. So just really uncomfortable position to be in with so little time and so many different possibilities. I'd rather that some of those branches were pruned for me to sort of narrow my search space and simplify things. But hey-ho, you know, having flexibility should be a good thing. So I should be able to find the best path. Yeah, I would I, I would wildcard in your spot for sure. Uh, and I'd probably save the free hit for 33. It's, it's probably worth talking about 33 rather than 29 as mm-hmm. why you'd want to save it. So I think the the probability of COVID shenanigans has is, is kind of gone down quite significantly. Yeah. Like the background incidents has gone down a lot. Um, obviously, the vaccination is is kind of picking up, and altogether, I don't I don't think you'll see many, if any, postponements from here until the end of the season. But 33 is when you've got the Carabao Cup final, so Man City and Spurs both blank. And if you yeah. think of like the template team that you'd want to carry through 26, 29, you're probably going to keep your Triple City through your 29 and just bench them. So that's going to be six players that you have got, and they're quite. They're quite nice fixtures between 29 and 33 as well. It's not like you'd want to be jumping off. And then in 33, uh, Liverpool play Newcastle. Man United play Leeds. Leicester play Crystal Palace. Could have Vardy back by then. And so there's some really nice fixtures for teams that you otherwise wouldn't be on. Yes. As well as six, six of your players blanking. That I think it could be harder to navigate or a bigger edge to be had than there is in 29, given that the Villa Spurs game has moved into 29. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, it is a good point. It's That could be a way to wring an advantage out of still having the free hit chip for those that do. I think I saw Lego Mane sent a tweet, which was something about that. I think he's thinking about um, this. Yeah blank game week 33 so let's let's talk about your team because you do still have the free hit but quite a significantly different position to me in that you don't have wild card or bench boost because you got those away in 1819 so how does that affect your planning yeah i'm i'm in a pretty nice spot i think i'm i'm basically letting 24 not go completely but not really attacking 24 and, and using that to power the whole rest of the the setup so i've got Ariola in goal, got Triple City, Cancelo Stones, Gunduan. I've got Son, uh, front three, Bamford, Antonio. I've made my one of my moves this week, and I've now got Watkins instead of Chris Woods. Finally gone. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> just when he was uh, just, just when he was getting all these double game weeks, is he injured or uh, what's the deal? With yeah, him? yeah, right. Yeah, he's, he's got he's got an injury. Right, uh, right. I, I, it is hilarious that he he survived two wild cards and then he's gone in a double game week. 
Yeah. And then I've got Grealish, Bruno Fernandes, uh, Rashford, Dallas and Holding, and Mendy. So I've got four for this week, and I've got a bunch of money in the bank as well, which is nice. I've not found a way to spend it all because I either want to spend about two million more than I've got or none of it at all. I don't know if you found the same thing. Well, I didn't, I, because I don't have Gunduyan, I don't have that problem, but I know a lot of people. Uh, yeah. You know, that was going to be one, that was something I looked at because I, I I knew that I might be wild carded in 25. And I thought, well, if I get him, I'm just going to have a bunch of cash sloshing around and I can't really see how to spend it. Um, so I think a lot of people will be in that your shoes. So it's probably is something worth talking about is um, how to actually get this money out. Like one thing you don't want to do, probably I'm guessing, is spread it out because then you're going to have a KDB problem when he comes back. Or maybe you don't if you just sell Salah or Bruno. I don't know what people are thinking, but yeah, that was kind of one thing I thought. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it, it, it's it's one of the things that Abdul said in the last part of, of about price points, and you end up in those awkward situations, especially if you spread it across defenders, because it's much easier to kind of spread one million here, one million there. Whereas if you've if you've got it in two mid price players, you can turn that into a premium and a budget in in two transfers. But I think it's fine to carry it in the bank. Uh, there's enough great value assets that I think you're more constrained by your 15 slots than you are by the money at this point. So my plan is I'm going to roll a transfer through a double game week after transferring in a single game week player. So I've got Watkins. Next week, I'm going to sell Rashford before he plays Newcastle at home. The, the more I say it, the more, the more crazy I sound. He's going, to, he's going to become Rafinha, and that's going to give me the money to turn Antonio into Kane. And then in 26, I'm going to turn Soufal into a Spurs defender, and that'll be my 11th doubler. Then I'll have two Villa, two, three Spurs, three Leeds. So I'll be on eight, eight already for the the 29 blank. Yeah, yeah, cool. Sounds good. And then roll that through, and then free hit in 33 is the current plan. Nice. Well, that sounds good. I mean, it sounds like the people who are having to navigate 29 without using the free hit which you don't have to do but you're choosing to do do have like a lot of work to do between now and then and it's kind of like mapped out it's kind of it's quite a narrow path that you need to walk i don't mind that normally in fpl if you walk in that narrow path you know that's what i did in build up to game week 18 and it's kind of all right because it just it, it makes play simpler you know your your choices are just uh, more restricted and that's fine if you can find a nice elegant kind of solution for it so yeah i, I imagine you're feeling the same you you sound like you're feeling quite set on that plan yeah i i hadn't really didn't really have a clue what i was doing until this morning and i and i finally kind of got like a, a, a summary of where the fixtures are going to go in terms yeah. of like on, quantitatively which game week do we think they're going in yeah. And then as soon as I had that, I actually had a clear picture of what was going on because my model reflected reality again. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And it helps that I inadvertently started preparing for 29 a week ago. So the trade-off that I'm making is ignoring 24, essentially. Yeah. Okay. That's That sounds good. There's a question that we got in our mailbag, which is very on point here. So I wonder if we should start kind of like blending these in seamlessly um, to our conversation. So seamless. 
<laughs> it's the usual pod craft that he, <laughs> um fpl strategic ian at fantasian pl asks with known and unknown blanks upcoming are we entering a time of choosing players based on quantity of fixtures and not necessarily on the quality of player second question how do we evaluate and complete and compare players with differing number of matches i think that's the question i was meaning to ask which is you know it made me think how do you evaluate them what you want is this thing that you talked about there uh, is your model to reflect the reality to have you've got this fixture then with these expected points associated with it and then you've got maybe a certain percentage chance of this other fixture appearing in there and they have those expected points associated with it and from there you can start building this picture and then as time goes on that starts getting the resolution becomes clearer and clearer as those probabilities turn into binary outcomes that is just a beautiful and fun thing to do with your your spreadsheet model. I love that time of year when that sort of thing's happening. But is that kind of what you talked about happening this morning somewhat? Yeah, that's exactly it. So for for clarity, I've got say Grealish at ten point six expected points in game week twenty six. And that's made up of the points that he's uh, expected to get in his original twenty six fixture. And then it's also uh, 45% of his points from the game against Sheffield United from 29 that could move there. And it's 55% of its points that I would expect from the postponed Everton game, which I think was from game week 18. Oh, no, that was that other Spurs, wasn't it? From game week 16. And that 10.6 number is going to change as soon as we know which fixture is going into 26. But yes. right now, I would expect Grealish to get 10.6 in 26 based on which fixtures could could move in there and, and how likely they are to you. Yep. And that that is um, expected value in action. That's assigning probabilities to potential outcomes and then taking the average expected outcome. FPL Review wrote a, a nice little primer on expected value uh, in the last few weeks for people who might want to check that out. It's, it's really good. But yeah, that's exactly what we're doing here, isn't it? Cool, fun. I, I've, I, I'm not there yet with mine. I've just, you probably saw it when I was sharing my screen there that I had a little thing with the percentages of certain games falling into certain game weeks, but I haven't married that up with the, the expected points yet. So that's that's some fun that I have deferred there. Yeah, a fun Saturday morning before you make decisions. <laughs> Frantic. <laughs> a child and sweating profusely as I press the button at 10.59 and stuff. Yeah, sounds good. Shall we to the remaining questions then? Uh, here's, here's one for you from Crew Analytics. And it says, do you account for shot quality in your defensive models? And I think that's uh, holding the expected goals constant. Mm. So it's, if, a, if a team concedes 10 shots, of like 0.1 xg versus conceding two shots of 0.5 xg do you take that into account in your model should you take that into account in your model but you haven't coded that uh what are your thoughts yeah this is a good and awkward question um because i i don't unless i do it in a kind of informal kind of soft way where i might like manually account for it by some knowledge of whether a team tends to concede high or low quality chances but the like sim- let's try and do a simple work through example as to why this makes a difference but if you've got a team that concedes like 0.8 goals in a match and one team tends to concede one shot 
which is worth 0.8 expected goals, then they've got a 20% chance of keeping a clean sheet. But if they concede two shots that are worth 0.4 each, then the chance that they concede exactly zero goals is the chance that neither shot goes in. So it'd be 0.6 by 0.6, which is 0.36, almost double. Uh, and that's an extreme example. Like no, no team ever has a XG per shot anywhere near 0.8 on average, or even 0.4. 0.4 would be high. Like normally, some something in the region of uh, 11 or 12 percent is probably normal for like a XG per shot. But just to illustrate the maths, when you're talking about clean sheets, you're talking about the probability that you concede exactly zero goals. So there can be nuances if you do concede like an odd profile of shots like Man City last year they conceded few but bad shots you know it was when they were getting turned over and when teams were like running against them and I mean bad from Man City's point of view like high quality shots yeah Uh, and I kind of felt like that meant that I was tending to overstate their chances of keeping clean sheets I spoke to FPL Research about this, and I think him and Review had done a couple of like little tests where they tried to simulate it, and they found that it was it didn't matter. But I think the thing that's key is what are you holding fixed in your simulation? You either fix the xG per shot, or you fix the total xG, and and like these kind of these kind of decisions end up influencing the outcome. My intuition is that it it actually should make a difference, but uh, you know where this is going because you asked it the question. <laughs> um, I don't account for that in my model. It's it, it's probably too in the rounding. Uh, it comes into the space that I was talking about privately recently of like soft factors where let's say I had a tough decision one week about which defender to bench, and I knew that one of them. You know, they had similar expected points, but maybe one of them happened to be on a team that considered these high quality shots and one of them on these low quality shots. Maybe I would err on the side of the, the guy that considered the low quality shots in that instance. You know, that's kind of as sophisticated as I would I would make it. Do you have uh, anything to add to, to this? Not that much. I, I think my intuition is that it doesn't matter nearly as much. So just to kind of pull out the ranges, like, Last year, non-penalty expected goals per shot. Chelsea were top with like 0.12. Wolves were bottom with 0.08. Yeah. Um, And if you think about it mathematically, the closer you are to one on your average shot, then the the larger the impact is going to be. So going from a 80% to a 40% is going to have a like larger impact on your clean sheet percentage than going from a 10% uh, to a 5%, even though you're halving both times. Yes. And so because the numbers are so tight, like they're they're in a relatively small range and those are averages in themselves. So they're coming from quite wide distributions of of chances. And and that's going to throw in even more noise into the mix because you'd you'd, you'd see more of an effect if these were uniform shot profiles. Then I think it's worth worrying about if you're a coach of a football team yeah. So you want to create higher quality shots, all things equal. You'll win more times, even for the same expected goals, for just the inverse of, of what we've been describing. But for FPL purposes, no, I wouldn't worry about it. 
I think it's shruggable, isn't it? I think you've probably got better things to be spending your time on, even with regards to your FPL model than this. But it's a cool question. It's a cool thing to think about. Like Because Wolves conceding low XG per shot, that is a thing that they've done for the la- for years. You know, that is a product of their playing style. They force teams into headers and long shots and uh, like Burnley do. And that's kind of, that's where it comes out. But Wolves don't really overperform their clean sheets relative to their expected goals against, I don't think. And you could argue it's like Patricio's not very good, but, you know, there's some anecdotal evidence that it's not making much difference, I don't think, in, in the real world. Yeah, it would be quite... It'd be quite a fun one to just chuck in a regression where you go like clean sheets over a season, expected goals against, and XG shot per shot, and see, it, and, yeah. and see if it see if it makes any difference. Yeah, uh, yeah. Once you're controlling for expected goals against, does it add anything? Yeah, it'd be an interesting one. Good question. Cool. I think we've absolutely nailed that one. This one's from Adam Burton. He talks a bit about expected assists, but the the bit that I want to ask you is how do you predict FPL assists? Right, okay, yeah. Um, So this is like when we had the episode on modelling, I sort of made a comment that sounded stupid, which was about how I always just go back to the rules. I just think about what is it that we're trying to model you know so in how are expected uh, like how are fantasy assists awarded and you know fill in the blanks here but it's winning penalties shots that are rebounded and is there anything else uh winning free kicks as well similar to penalties right, winning free and kicks, then yeah. there's also um like setting up an own goal <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> which is a weird phrase but yeah <laughs> yeah and then obviously there are instances where fpl award assists with that opta do not even though it's just an attempted pass you know it's a, a pass that's attempted to go to a certain guy it ends up getting there or perhaps after a deflection and fpl decide that it wasn't a material thing so they give the assist anyway whereas opta wouldn't in that instance yeah Although, although a slight uh, nuance, uh, it's it's Opta who give fantasy assists as well, but they just tag them as fantasy assists, not as assists. It's not FPL Towers making a decision; it's in the Opta data feed. Where did you um, discover this? Because I that was in that was news to me. Like I would have, I guessed that it was. I don't know if EA kind of do stuff for the data because they're you know they're they. they I understood that they had something to do with like the ICT index and stuff like that. So I, I, I kind of thought they were to do with the data, but I, I heard that recently, but I didn't. I hadn't heard it before. Yeah, I, I can't remember where. I think it. I think it was like a tweet from somebody who worked at Opta, but I can't remember like where it was. Right. Okay. Um, so okay. Somewhat but, official. Yeah. I, I. I would. I would believe it. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. So there we go. It's. It's. It is Opta that does it. Fine. That I can believe it as well. So with regards to modeling those things, you want to try and think about what, like, can we detect uh, instances of players that do actions that are likely to lead to those kind of assists happening? Uh, You know, and and are those things repeatable? Uh, Like, would we want to bother making a model for them? So really what you kind of have to do with FPL assists is split it up into these separate buckets. You know, you, you might have some proportion of just your normal XA, like for normal classic Opta assists, spills into your uh, fantasy assist uh, outcome. 
and then you might have another proportion which and those are for like the passes or the setting up own goals you know like people that are trying to pass and then you'd have one for shot takers like something that could be related to xg i remember at one point i, I had something that was like included xg and xg per shot in the model because what you're kind of doing is saying what are the chances that the shot doesn't go in from a shooter because okay, that's yeah. th- that's the set of shots uh, on which it is possible that there could be a rebound uh, goal so you know that might be like a factor that you could include in a little mini regression there and then you've got the winning penalty stuff so you might look at dribbles and you know passes received in the final third or whatever nice stats that you can get that kind of uh, hint at that but it's a lot of work for not that much benefit because it's a really fuzzy area like xg to goals is kind of fuzzy xa to assists is way more fuzzy and then trying to model these kind of extra sort of spawny assists on top i think is even fuzzier still so i could forgive people for having something very rudimentary here you know like you know just like adding on a percentage of their xg and their xa and calling it some sort of fantasy assist potential or something like that you know like if you actually did a little technical job on it creating a tiny little model like that i I could forgive people for doing something quite simple how about you yeah it's a similar thing i agree it's a pretty small edge i think it's one of those which is probably worth modeling for the sole reason that as i kind of have as like a mantra to myself like fpl is a game of outliers and so you for most players, you won't make a, a difference at all, but there's going to be some players who are kind of on the outlier of the of the distribution who take a lot of crosses, who get fouled a lot, etc. And therefore, they're gonna or they're on a team with a really good free kick taker, which I don't model, but possibly should for Southampton assets. And trying to identify those players is the name of the game, rather than trying to get your kind of average model to be pretty good. And so. Yeah, similar thing. I, I kind of started with the rules and then went, what uh, counting statistics do I have that could correlate with those type of actions? So if you think of like getting fouled or winning penalties as like penalty box touches, probably the number of fouls, potentially the number of dribbles, something on their expected assists. And I just chucked it all, all into a regression. I probably need to update it, the, the coefficients, because it was a, a, about a year or maybe 18 months ago that I did it. Right, yeah, and turns out dribbling wasn't correlated at all. Didn't show up as significant. Some combination of fouls, expected assists, and then fouls combined with penalty touch areas, like multiplied together, an interaction term. Yeah, uh, is what I use to power my fantasy assists. That's right. I think I remember that. Yeah, you, you, you tweeted about it. Yeah, yeah, that was that's good. That's I mean, and it's very believable, isn't it? You know, it's, it sounds it sounds right. It sounds like the sort of things that would lead to people getting into sort of positions where they're getting fantasy assists it's yeah it's, it's one of those things where i think there's quite a nice like wider modeling point is if if you start with the footballing hypothesis then you the things that you then find in the data probably aren't just spurious yeah. whereas if you just kind of if you chuck all of the data in the world at it for no reason you're likely to find something which correlates but actually isn't causative yeah that's a pro tip you know it really is like the the kind of most common way that you can be led astray by your data is by allowing it to like show you things and suggest things that 
are not things that are going to happen again on a football pitch. Like there has to be a footballing reason why it would be some sort of repeatable thing that you'd expect to happen again. I, I totally agree with that, and it's a good good note for people who are who are working with data. Shall I ask you a question? Let me see what I think. There's one I'm sort of obviously personally invested in this year, but I think it depends on like where you're sitting. Is there any way to determine if this season really has more luck than others? Something that takes into account fixture cancellations or players missing post-deadline? So this is... I think yes, but I think not as much as people think. It's it's one one of my like pet peeves, I guess. Is every season weird stuff will happen because football is a weird sport and it's hard to predict. And which is why FPL is is addictive because when you do get it right, then it's a it's a really big payoff because it's a really hard challenge. So I think like the craziness of the season in terms of like results and so on, I don't think is like any different to usual. I think the the postponements has obviously created some variance for sure, especially the ones that happened after the deadline. I think thing things like 18, when did that Aston Villa Spurs game get postponed? Was it before or after? It was, it was before, before the deadline. Yeah. So I yeah. think I think that's that's partly luck, but I think there's also like if you're not wedded to your strategy, then you can kind of be flexible and use chips and so on. Because it was a spot where it's not like you're burning a wild card in a spot where you would never use one, or, or burning a free hit in a spot where no one would ever use one, like in just a normal single game week. So I think in like that particular game week, there is there definitely is some variance in it. The edge that you would have got from your old strategy is is gone. But there's enough like escape routes that I think the effect is probably relatively small. I think the the one in 16 and the one in game week 11, they're definitely just adding to the variance. But I think the the fact that there's this kind of four doubles in a row and then all this all this shenanigans going on also increases the ability to show a skill edge. Um, so I think they're both kind of are getting dialed up um, rather than just the variance is, is my view on it. So maybe that's slightly different to... How, how you're thinking about it yeah i mean it is slightly different but i i i, I generally agree there's it's it's definitely an optimistic view to say that the we get this opportunity now to show a greater skill edge with the you know like how you respond to the stuff that happens but yeah there's 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 no doubt that removing games from a game week after the deadline is just adding pure randomness to to the game like that that's you know that's indisputable an interesting part of the question was is there a way to quantify it can we can we see it you know because it's something that is relevant to me because i when i can't remember in which game week it was that it happened but um people who were building for a to not use a free hit in game week 18 will know what i'm talking about here because they'll have felt it more but the postponements kept on happening to t- to teams that you needed to <laughs> players from in game week 18 for some reason like man city everton villa spurs kept happening to those teams and that was just weird like i do I, I, it's that is bad luck um, for people who, who are over-indexed on those players, especially the times that it happened after the deadline. I ran some polls uh, a month ago or so, and you know, the, I asked how many people 
you how many starter level players that you had missing games in the four postponements and the modal response was four to six that was like 40 percent of the poll had four to six a quarter had zero to three a fifth had seven to nine and then about uh seventh or an eighth had 10 plus uh, and I had 11 there. So like there, that's a way of kind of saying, well, yeah, I can see that I'm in the small tail of the kind of bad luck distribution there. But something that I love about FPL is the the pre-match expectation points that you get from the FPL review model, massive data points and the odds rank points and uh, as a way of kind of showing what the level of your play was reasonably expected to achieve you know, t- mm. taking out quite a lot of noise. And something that I'm sore about is that th- this doesn't show up as bad luck there because, um, you know, the way that it necessarily has had to work in the past is to be based on the minutes that the players actually log in the game weeks. You know, that was something that he, he controls for in that way because there wasn't a good pre-match expectation of minutes that you could, like, rely- really reliably use. So it, rather than showing up as bad luck, it actually shows up as bad play for those those people that are missing from those game weeks so i think my massive data rank was round about between i think it was between one and two k nearer one k like going into that period and it went down to like i think it went down to like 75k after game week 18 it was just like it was i couldn't believe how (laughs) like i knew it was bad but i was shocked at how how bad that was it's definitely true that everyone has been affected and you know some people like you Simon you kind of had to think fast and chose to use your wild card and your bench boost in 1819 as a result of what was going on and some people used chips that they didn't intend on using so they've been affected too by this kind of loss of potential for future points but it does make, it did make me less interested in FPL and the idea because I, I like the fact that it's a game where you can kind of demonstrate skill and there's objective measures of skill and to know that it wasn't going to show up there is demotivational to me um so you know that was something that i did feel was it, you know does make this year a bit more a bit more luck based than other ones have like certain people through no fault of their own just because their strategy have been kind of disproportionately affected by stuff that's happened and you know fair enough like we we, we roll on and maybe maybe you get some breaks uh, later on in the year but it's definitely in my view been like a little bit more random than previous years i would expect to see a little bit worse performance of people who are expected to do good at the start of the season compared to how they eventually did like that might be one way to objectively measure it to some extent is go back at the end and say well these were the highest rated managers coming in, according to like FPL Research's sample. How did they do versus how they had done in previous years? Like how how the people going in had done in previous years. That might be an objective way to kind of get at an answer. But probably the difficult thing for me is that there isn't really an objective way to to strip that out. Yeah, I think I think that's right, and and it's it's like a semantic rabbit hole if you if you go down like what is luck and what doesn't count as luck. Um, but I, I think on 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 your like drop on the like expected rankings and so on. I think some of that will be the fact that you didn't use a chip at all. So I think even if you hadn't had any of the postponements, you would still expect to see a drop at that point, That's right. just because there's a lot a lot of other teams. 
choosing to optimize for points at that point in the season and sacrificing points later as a result. Yeah, that, that um, may kind of describe uh, some of the, how how large the effect was there. Yeah, definitely, that's right. I think if you just trying to like do a little bit of like quantifying and this very back of the envelope type stuff. So let's say the like motor response was four to six. So let's call the average five. And you had eleven postponements. Uh, did you manage to get eleven players out in those weeks, or did you did you have your bench coming up or not? Or did you just end up playing with 10? And so That's the thing. Like, I, I mean, I carried a good bench all the way through. But there were, like, in game week 18, you know, if you were building for that blank, there was no chance. Like, if, if you have Grealish and Calvert-Lewin uh, because of the injury and Target and Watkins, like, getting sucked out there's just no there's no chance you're going to have a bench in that week so no that was just like pure guys that I lost but the I did tend to have a bench you know I I, one thing I was going to say was I managed to do a poll on the people who like specifically how many people lost players in the postponements that happened after the deadlines um you know if you want to factor that into your back of the envelope stuff but i I don't have that in front of me right now anymore but yeah you you crack on because it sounded in in, like let's say i had 11 and people had five typically yeah see you're missing six players and your like expectation is probably going to be like let's say three points over a bench player or like five or six if you didn't get anyone in. So you're, you've lost somewhere between kind of 18 and 36 expected points over the season, which yeah. which is is quite a lot when it's going into the skill ranking, but it's yeah. quite small when you look at like the size of the luck variable. That's and, right. And the, and the distribution of that. So I think it's, it's probably more frustrating that it's counting in the like what we use as like the skill benchmark tool. Um, yeah, that that is a frustration. Yeah. R- rather than it being actually like way more lucky or unlucky than say like a hot finishing streak actually is to your FBL rank. Yep. Yeah, I think that's 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 fair. Cool. This is this is a fun one from Trout because it's not very FPL related. This is actually it's quite FPL related. So like. How how far can one change in personnel influence the baseline strength of a team? So this is an interesting one. You've got like your like you get these like with without oh, stats, yeah. which I'll I'll let you take them down in a second. But then you've you've also got something interesting like when Kane was injured recently, and you're trying to evaluate how that would affect say Son's prospects. Mm-hmm. So so how 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 do you think about these things? Do you model them? Can you model them? Uh, like, would you model them if you had a, a million years? Like, how, how do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's it's an aspirational thing. It's something that I don't do and that if I could choose to, I would because, you know, there is a, um, well, what would you describe it as? It's like a, a ship of Theseus type thing where is it, are the individual players what makes the team or does the team kind of help to make the player and bring the best out of him like you know we we have that problem when a new player signs for for a team and they've come from like a different league and we're trying to guess what are they going to do are they going to do what they did on their old team are they going to do are they going to get the same share as someone who played in that position on that team got last year are they going to improve the team's output but get the same share 
you know, like and on all these kind of questions, because if you just like plug in the player's individual expected goals output into the team with like the 10 other players that they had last year, you will be changing that team's expected output, whether you're doing it um, like intentionally, knowingly, consciously or not. There's a circle to square there about where the influence comes from. But it's obvious that better players are going to improve a team and the absence of players are going to make a team worse, key players. Uh, we've had a couple of good instances this year to like try and observe some effects. Like when Van Dijk got injured for Liverpool, we had a pod shortly after that, and I, I think I re- recalled like a, a chart that I'd made, which was just like my model's estimation of Liverpool's defensive strength before Van Dijk came, after he was there, and then from that, like just making a very simple inference about how much he improved the defence and how much it might get worse. Because it was quite, it was quite, it came out really clearly in the model that he kind of like changed their level quickly, and then the level stayed that good. You know, it was like a real step change, and it was something in the magnitude of like 0.15 goals against per game. So I think my, that was the that was the Villa game, wasn't it, where he played? Without we need to cut cut you off in flow. I have Liverpool improving since Van Dijk got injured this season. Weirdly, which which isn't because they're a better team, but the, the kind of cascading effect of like Liverpool are sacrificing elsewhere in order to not compromise their defence as a result of Van Dijk being out would be the way I would read it. Yeah, so that's right. But I, I wasn't talking about what has actually happened since Van Dijk has gone out. I was talking about what my expectation for what might happen when Van Dijk oh, was out based Sorry. on what he had done when he first came, like based on how much better. Oh, they were, I you know? see. So, so I like see. I, I, I see. had yeah, this yeah. idea that they would get, uh, that because they had gotten better to the tune of about 0.15 expected goals against uh, in the time that he was there, that maybe you might see a drop off of somewhere around that when he left, you know. And uh, like you say, that it's, it's, it's probably not exactly transpired that way in the model because, the Villa game was where they they took the the little step down this year, and they've just kind of like stayed around there. I think pretty like more or less for argument's sake in terms of defensive strength from from what I can recall. But what else do we have? Like another example is Bruno uh, when he joined United. United's attack got better in my model when Bruno after Bruno came, not when he came because I don't I didn't make an allowance for it. So this is kind of getting to my answer about what I actually do. I don't do anything in the model i just wait to observe the effect and because the model is calibrated it's like it's fitted on historic data when this kind of thing is happening all the time it's kind of inherently built into the updating speeds that the model is using that it's been optimized to use so yes it will update probably too slowly for that specific team in situations where you're expecting there to be a step change but it will tell you soon enough um, what, what's happened. And it's a much kind of easier and safer way to do it. You could reach your hand into the gears and make a little adjustment and then let the model run on from that point. You know, you could say, all right, I'll, I'll knock, you know, I'll add a 0.1 of an expected goal against onto Liverpool's defence and then I'll let the model tell me if I'm wrong by, by correcting for it. But I don't really have the inclination to do that. I'm just happy to kind of let the model do what it does so... 
in terms of the adjustments I make, they fall into that category of informal adjustments in my head. Like when Kane went out, I, I couldn't see how Spurs' attack would function that well based on how they had done previously in the season. Um, so I kind of docked Sun a little bit of points in my head due to Spurs' output declining. Then obviously maybe he's on penalties and it, and it, and it goes back up. But um, it was an informal adjustment that I made. I'm not doing something formal in my model. I'm just waiting for my model to see what happens on the pitch and then tell me about it. How about you? What, what's your approach here? I think that's right. I I think that making manual adjustments to your model to try and account for this, you'll probably end up doing more damage than good. Yeah. So if you, like, you can pick out examples of where a player has come in and it's improved uh, a team or made them worse when they've got injured and so on. Uh, but you can you can also find plenty of examples of the opposite. So Chelsea, for example, went and signed two, three very highly rated attacking players in Havertz, Werner and Ziyech. And their attack is worse than last year. Yeah. Liverpool, <laughs> Liverpool, Van Dijk got injured and their defensive numbers haven't moved because the, these things kind of, they're not static. So the, the, the coaches will make adjustments based on the talent that they've got in order to win football matches. That's right. And, yeah. so, and so if you add a load of attacking talent, that could improve your defence as much as it improves your attack because suddenly you can play a more defensive strategy yep. and still generate enough attack to win games uh, because of the increase in attacking talent you've got. So I think yep. you, the, uh, the only responsible thing to do here is to let the model sort it out. I think with players and injuries is where, as FPL managers, we're having to make decisions. And the, the Spurs one was quite interesting. I, I almost wish Kane was out for another game, just from a data point of view, because... Spurs played two games against two of the best defences in the league in Brighton and Chelsea and looked completely inept. And I'm yeah. don't really have enough to separate out. Like, was it because yeah. Kane was injured or was it because they were playing really good defences? Not much new information. And then and a, and a half against Liverpool, <laughs> which is the yeah. same category. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so, so I, I think generally these things are overrated by the community and I think most of the time you can just kind of uh, sail on serenely by pretty much ignoring it unless you get like a huge injury crisis I think I think the new the new player thing is quite interesting I think you can ignore it there as well so if you, I think James Rodriguez is a really good uh, example of this because there's a lot of talk of like well, he's coming from a Real Madrid team which like scored two and a half goals a game to an Everton team which score one and a half goals a game, um, rounding. So therefore, his numbers are obviously going to be worse. But Hamas Rodriguez is a world-class or very highly, highly talented attacking midfielder, and he's going to be Everton's best player when he arrives, which he wasn't at Bayern Munich on loan or Real Madrid. And so you would expect his share to go up precisely because he's a very highly rated player. And so... Yeah. You've got like two two effects moving in opposite directions. He's coming to a worse attacking team, but because he's coming to a worse attacking team, you'd expect him to be a bigger part of the attack. That's right, and that that is that is generally always that you know you can kind of 
agree that there's going to be these effects that are moving in opposite directions that are happening with any kind of transaction like that. You know, the player is either going to a team that's, you know, coming down, so to speak, from a, a good team like that or going up and uh, e- either way it cancels out. So to to some extent, I'm not saying that it like scientifically cancels, but in a kind of shruggable way, if you're a kind of lazy, pragmatic modeler like us, you can say, well, just (laughs) I'll just assume it's going to be the same and then I'll wait to be proven otherwise. You know, and I think that's totally a legitimate thing to do. Yeah. And it's 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 also a really hard problem to solve, even if you're trying to solve just this problem. So I, I don't know if you've done much reading about like trying to do like plus minus player impact scores in football I, I like basketball and i follow some like basketball analytics and it's a big thing there so I, i'll have like a working knowledge of it but i haven't looked at it too much in football i know about the goal impact um, model but not not really much else yeah so for our listeners the basic idea is uh if if a team does better when the player is on the pitch then that's telling us something about how good the player is and in basketball it works really well because you have the players on the court are constantly changing. You've got rolling subs. And so therefore it's quite easy to differentiate. There'll, there'll be like 40% of the time when they're on and 60% when they're off. Whereas in football, you have much more consistent lineups. You have three subs typically used in the second half. Um, you have huge game state effects and you have way less scoring. And so it's almost impossible. I think goal impacts had to do a lot of fancy algorithmic stuff to get it to kind of work and so trying to do it for fpl purposes uh, of like what's going to be the impact on tottenham from kane being out is it, it, it's in the it's in the bucket of like i don't care because i don't think it's big enough and even if i did really care i would have no way of tackling it yeah i wouldn't be able to do a good enough job on it in the time that i have to for it to be like something that's worth considering attempting <laughs> yeah which yeah. is the story of yeah. my life really <laughs> <laughs> cool so i think i think that's all we've got for today unless there's anything else you want to add jamie nope nothing for me cool well this has been episode six of the corridor of uncertainty podcast uh good luck in the game week deadline which is probably already passed by the time you're hearing it <laughs> and and we'll we're doing another one in february can we promise that I think we should promise that. Yeah, this this is this is the January episode. So expect another one in the next couple of weeks. You get dub, double pod this month. Bumper month. We're good yeah. to you guys. <laughs> right, that's all for me. Bye guys. All right. Cheers. Bye.